Well, here's here's a fun one, a little fun one, you know, for people who came, you know, for for, for yeah, yeah, fun, yeah. good time. Um, so Dara, you're usually driving, so you don't usually drink at gigs. But there is a question here for you, which is, where has the best during or post gig pint of Guinness? Um, okay, easy, easy answer. Welcome to Rockefeller's Storytellers, a podcast by Dead Horse Jive, Ireland's best dressed rock and roll band. So, in each episode two of Dead Horse Jive, we'll sit down for a long-ish conversation. The questions for each episode will be written by the other members of the band. So, yeah, this is the only podcast in which a band basically interviews itself on a weekly basis. Well, welcome to the first ever episode of the... Brand new Dead Horse Jive podcast. Today it's uh, me, Dara, and uh, Joycey, uh, and we're recording this from our respective houses. So, uh, yeah, how are you, Joycey? Yeah, grand. Yeah, not too bad. I only, I, I've been working until Friday there, so I'm, I'm loving isolation. Some people are sick of it, and I'm like, ooh, you're I've on so much done at home. <laughs> you're on day two of isolation now, are you? I'm on, I'm on day eight. Today is day eight. Oh, today is day eight. But then I, I had to go. I have to go into work like once a week. So, uh-huh, I guess right. it's also like day four. It's hard to say. You're 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 kind of getting a sort of best of both worlds. Then you know you're not stuck in the house. No, man, I have to go to work. Are you serious? No. Oh yeah, I suppose. Both worlds is to stay at home. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how how uh, we each of us doesn't know how good the other has it. Maybe. No, I know how good you have it. <laughs> I'm looking at you right now with all your I, microphones in your in your house, and I see I, a, a guitar there. You're living the life, man, in your house. I'm to be honest, Matt. Life. I'm trying to sugarcoat it for you, but uh, yeah, I'm at home and you have to go to work. There's there's no getting yeah. <laughs> true. All right, so do you want to explain the uh, explain the game to the folks at home? Uh, so today, me and Joyce are in, and uh, Martin, uh, Shocks, John Martin, and Yvonne have written questions for us to discuss. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Is there anything else to kind of? Yeah, who's Yvonne? I guess uh, everyone. What everyone is asking right now. <laughs> the question on everyone's lips at home. Yeah, Yvonne is uh, is the Dead Horse Jive manager. Uh, is this how we're announcing that? I suppose it is now that yeah, I've well, kind of fucking ripped that bandaid off. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that, that'll do. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, basically uh, an open secret, I suppose, at this point. If we haven't announced it yet, yet, um, yeah, Yvonne has contributed questions as well. Uh, she's uh, now the sort of sixth member uh, of the band. All right, so let's go. Let's you let's go. go let's go do straight it. Into it. Or do you have anything that you want to say before you do anything about you know? drinking bleach or you know going more than two kilometers outside of your house or i ain't got i have have literally nothing to say about drinking bleach (laughs) (laughs) not even don't do it like you know if you think it'll work uh edit that out john (laughs) (laughs) serious man do not drink bleach uh, all right, okay. fair enough. The position, the band position is is drinking bleach is bad. <laughs> all right, question one. All right, I'm going to throw it right at you. Go on. Um, question one for both, but somebody's writing something in the. Uh, oh, is that you? Oh yeah, somebody's writing something in right now. Or yeah, is that you? Someone, someone is someone who did not meet the get your questions in by 
this time deadline is writing questions in the document as we're recording the podcast, which is, which is, you know, to be fair, they're not late. They're, they are in fact bang on time, whoever it is. Yeah, they're late. Um, so question one <laughs> for Dara, what is your songwriting process? If you have one, if you have one is written in brackets, but you better have one or else this question is pointless. <laughs> Do I have a process? Um, I, I usually go chords first. Uh, or like a riff first. Um, I'll usually I usually work with uh, with a guitar, um, and if I I will just play random stuff until something kind of catchy crops up, and then uh, I'll put a melody to that, and then I'll finally I will write lyrics to the melody, and um, or maybe I'll go. I will definitely go riff or or chords structure first, and then uh, and then put a melody, and then maybe I'll write lyrics for a verse, and then try and find the the melody for for a chorus or whatever. Uh, but I know that a lot of people work completely the other way around and go lyrics first. But I kind of never do that. I'll always get the lyrics from whatever already exists in terms of melody or or structure. Mm, I've tried to like I've written I don't think I have a specific one that I always do but I've tried to write lyrics first sometimes and I find it's hard then to fit them in you know what I mean yes yeah it's like you've written it's like you've written too many words and then you need to you're either shoehorning something in or like you're cutting words out and maybe does the sentence make sense anymore then you know but but also that probably works a lot better than we give it credit for because like if you listen to like I don't I don't know this for a fact but I'm pretty sure that Eddie Vedder mm. writes his lyrics separate from music. Because if you if you read the lyrics, maybe I'm wrong now, and some you know some super fan is going to be like, "You're you're terrible. Never do a podcast again." But um, if you listen, read the lyrics, it's like they they seem like they're written down as a poem, mm. and then he's he's fit them in. So I guess maybe it works better than it so works Leonard's, better once than we want to admit. Yeah, yeah. Is that how Leonard Cohen worked as well? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Uh, <laughs> I suppose. Well, just because because you said Eddie Vedder's lyrics read like poetry, and I think Leonard Cohen deliberately worked that way. Um, whereas uh, I I don't necessarily think of lyrics as poetry, uh, or that's not a that's not a sort of it's not in my mind. It's not prominent in my mind that this this should work as a poem as well as or apart from working as as uh as a piece of music do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um what about what about you let me kick that one back to you what's your songwriting process if you have one yeah it's not great is what it is um <laughs> usually i come up with something in my head and it usually happens when i'm halfway to duns you right, know and yeah. then i've forgotten about it by the time i get home um and then i pick up a guitar and i try and write it and then i write it wrong and then i forget because I've written something that's close to what I thought of, I forget the thing that I thought of. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and then, then I try to do at least a chorus or some kind of lyrics. Then one thing that I do that I think is a really good idea though, and that I think everybody at home should do is um, if you want to write a song and you're starting to write it and the lyrics crap, um, keep writing it and write it all the way down to the end, right? Like write the whole song, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, double chorus bam um and then (laughs) you'll find that about half of it is crap and then half of it is good yeah and then go back to the top and write the first half again and i find that that works and also because also 
that means if you step away from it, you've got a fully structured song yeah. rather than half a song. Yeah, there's a bit of a skeleton <clears throat> and, you know, there. Change the because um, I find that you got to kind of I don't I don't write like songs like every day, but uh, you kind of got to unclog the creative, if you know what I mean, by getting I, all that crap out at the start that isn't very good. And I think then, I, I I definitely relate to the idea of unclogging. Or like, you know, if you if you sit down to go kind of out of nowhere, if you sit down expecting to be inspired or whatever, this isn't this isn't something I came up with on my own. Now, this is like um, a lot of people will probably relate to this, but like you're not just going to, quote unquote, get inspiration. Um, you're going to you're going to find some kind of inspiration while you're in the process of of doing the work, which for you is like, I'm going to finish this song now. I'm going to. So I'm going to write the whole thing. And it's not, uh, and it's not so much, good. it's not so much finishing it, but just like write a, write a start and get right to the end is what I mean. Yes. And then yeah. you can come back and change it again. But I find it's way easier to keep working on a song when you've got a start and a finish, even mm, if you're changing yeah. those, then if you're going back to a song that's half done, that works for me anyway. I think I haven't written that many songs. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should try each other's approaches and, uh, and report back. In season two of the Dead Horse Jedi Pride. Yeah, podcast. sure. I got um, I find, and I'm only finding this recently. Like, um, I got a Boss synth pedal that I've yeah. been talking to you guys about, and uh, I'm finding that my writing is a little bit different when I'm using that because it sounds like a synth, like an '80s synthesizer, mm-hmm. and I'm writing all this like different stuff. So I guess what you're writing on probably makes a kind of a difference too. Like I, there was a guy in a band and I can't remember what that band was. It might have been Rage Against the Machine where he was like, gear doesn't matter because if you've got crappy gear, then you're going to write a punk song. And if you've got really good gear, you're going to write a blues song. And I was like, that makes it sound like gear does matter, Tom Morello. Yeah, I don't know yeah, yeah. About. <laughs> um, maybe it wasn't Tom Morello. But um, yeah, and that's not to say you have to have good gear, but I think what you're writing on changes what you're probably going to write. You're going to write something completely different on a piano versus a ukulele or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I started writing for piano recently, and I did find, uh, I did find it uh, radically different. Just like the whole shape of it, I was thinking in different shapes. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess you know this is this is you know we're not, we're not really talking about the process anymore now what we're talking about is like well you know sometimes just mix it up for uh uh for no reason other than to mix it up and, and sort of see what's what's different you know yeah i guess so um yeah will we will we move on to the next Take another one? question oh here's a good one you want to do this one number 10 10 uh yeah go for it um, so as frontmen for a band, now uh, I'm not actually a frontman, so, but I guess, I guess I'll answer this too. Um, mm. As frontmen for a band, do you find it hard to get the crowd or atmosphere going at the start of a show? Uh, yeah. So yeah, great question. Um, it's the the short answer. Yes, like it is definitely work um long answer uh naturally it like it hugely depends um like uh, if it depends on the venue like if if you're playing if you're playing say sort of mostly covers in in a pub uh and no one there has ever heard of the band before um then that's going to be 
are really different to if you're at a festival and most of the people in the audience are your mates and they've uh, you know it's late on in the day and they've had a couple of drinks uh like it's you know it's pretty intuitive how th- those would be radically different um atmospheres so i suppose like the first thing the first thing is you want to meet people wherever they are like if if someone is if someone is if someone didn't come out of their house tonight to come to a gig um to specifically to see my gig then i'm going to have to you know convince them that my gig might be worth uh listening to or paying attention to or rocking along with you know and that you know that they're they're coming from a a, a different starting point than someone who's like i'm gonna go to a dead horse jar gig and it's gonna be awesome um so the i don't know i mean like I've, I've i've learned a few like tricks for uh engaging people at the top of a show um that i think have been like the one that the one that it, that is most effective is start before the show starts so like even while even while you're setting up like you're to a certain extent you're on you're in you're in public you're on public view and people are watching what you're doing so if you're engaging with them at that stage and being like hey how's it going uh you know <laughs> if they're if they're looking at you if they're available at all you can connect with them uh, at that stage and then you're you're starting when the show gets underway then you're you're coming from uh, a different starting point than if you go you know if you only uh initially engage with anyone in the room from the moment the first chord is played i think you're you, you have a lot more kind of heavy lifting to do um what's your take on on that question from the point of view of the the lead guitarist i know you you don't necessarily speak into the mic and dialogue with people but there is still a sense in which you're um uh, out in front and performing and, and getting people going so what's that like as a guitar player yeah, well, I think it's pretty hard too. As I, you know, it obviously it depends on the number of people that are in the room. I think and how big mm-hmm. the room is. Um, I think people don't like to; they don't want to be separated from the crowd, so it's hard to get you know people to start. You know, but once they're dancing and everybody's dancing, then it's fine. Yeah, I remember there was this one gig that we did in Limerick in um, the sidebar of Dolan's with Stone Malice. Yeah, I think it was. And um, we were opening and there was a pretty small crowd. And I remember being like, oh, God, this is so hard to get, you know, get some movement on. But then for like the last two or three songs, I was like, you know, I'm actually really enjoying myself now. And then we finished. And then a group of guys came up to me after and they were like, oh, man, we only caught the last two or three songs of your set. We just walked in. And I was like, I actually felt the atmosphere change when that extra group of people walked in. Yeah. um, Without even knowing it at the time because I was on stage, you know? So um, even if you're not aware that there's more people in the room, I think it really changes it. Um, I'm getting into kind of, you know, healing crystal territory now when I'm talking about atmospheres and crack, like, yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I don't know how to explain it. Um, well, it is. It is I, I didn't know they really came in, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it was just, it was like, there was, there was, I don't know, I mean, there is something about the number of people like uh, a a larger number of people paying attention to you and being interested in what you're doing is definitely going to feel better than, you know, half that number or 25% of that number. And you feel like you're like, I really want to put on a show for these people. I want them to, I want the few people who are here to have seen an excellent gig. Mm -hmm. Um, But then 
both you and the audience have to do more uh, work to kind of generate, um, you know, to generate that that sense that we're all here together and we're having a good time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, this doesn't, it, this kind of thing doesn't, that kind of idea doesn't scan to different formats. Like if, if you're having, you could have a, a great conversation with four or five people, or you could have a great conversation with just one other person. So there's, there's, there's nothing in the sort of numbers game there that seems to be um, hugely important. Do you know what I mean? But it does feel like, you know, I guess maybe what we're expressing is we, we want to be really popular uh, in the whatever the the like if we're playing in a place and there's 25 people in the place we would really like for all 25 of those people to be super into the gig uh and uh, 20 is good and 15 is is okay but like if if only four or five people are 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 engaged then it feels like uh, i don't know if 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 uh, you know the 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 idea of the energy that you were talking about it feels like kind of like more people equals more energy but i don't know like this, this, what does that mean do you know what i mean yeah um i don't know it's hard and i think it's good to be honest about it you know um because like you know there's a thing where people are like man i play just as well when it's one person in a room when there's a thousand people in a room and it's like yeah that's fair play that's really hard like you know, fair <laughs> yeah. play to you um you know, yeah. I think it's good to just be on. Like, it, there is, feel, especially when you play a gig in like space. You know, remember when we drove to space that time mm-hmm. in, in the two in the three door? Um, and it's like, <laughs> I, you know, and it's like, oh, it's going to take us like three light year. Three light years is a measure of distance, so ignore that. It's going to take us like three months to get back to Ireland now from space, and there's only mm-hmm. like five people here, and they just want us to play covers, and it's like, ah, oh, crap. You know, fuck. We better pull the covers out, but. Now we've we've driven to space now to play Prince all night, and and that's you know kind of not what we did, and it's what we that's not why we 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 went to space. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that that can be kind. Of, so you have to get that out of your head. But it, it to be honest, it's really hard, um, especially yeah. if you go to space twice and the same thing happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the, like that's to do with what what our expectations of a particular gig might be. And yeah. If, True. If, but if if our expectations of a gig and the audience expectations are kind of matched, like if we went to space, for example, to just play Prince covers and people turned up to uh, eat a meal with their families while some uh, Prince covers are going on in the corner. And if everyone knew that in advance, that'd be kind of cool. Um, whereas if we're if we're going out to like do a rock in like stadium rock show in the corner of a pub uh but everyone is out to like eat some fish and chips with their mom um then that 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 no amount of like uh, if i go and do a load of like work on engaging the audience if they're not if that's not what they left the house to see tonight then like i'm barking up the wrong tree so space isn't to... like space isn't code for a particular place it's starting to sound like i'm using space to describe this particular place it's not yeah like, like a, a, i don't know about you one time i wasn't whatever. thinking of anywhere in particular yeah oh, yeah same but like it there is there is a sense in which you're in which uh you know what the expectations of the audience are and what the expectations of the performer are at the beginning of the show will probably influence 
uh, the way in which I decide to start engaging the audience. And then yeah. like stuff is either going to work or, or not. Like if I try some, some weird tactic to engage people in the show and it just backfires for whatever reason, then, uh, then I will have to try something else. But like if I manage my expectations and consider what their expectations might be, then whatever I do try is more likely to have a positive effect. Do you want to pick a question there? We'll move on. But I did the last one, so you yeah. can grab one there if you like. Or you can ask me something else if you want. I don't care. I have no secrets. Uh, yeah, I want to ask you, number five, how much do you improvise on stage? Um, pretty much consistently. Uh, yeah, all the time. Um, I try not to... Uh, I, I feel, and I think I, I think I watched a video of Victor Wooten where he kind of said something similar. Um, I feel like at any one point in a song, not at any one point, at most points in a song, there's a focus. And that focus is usually the vocals. Mm. So, you know, you, sh- I sh- you shouldn't be improvising under the vocals, I feel. Yeah. Unless it's a particular song and you can make it work, which is something that occasionally happens. But as a general rule, and sometimes it's like the bass. Sometimes the bass is a cool little bit and you shouldn't be improvising over that. So I try to stick to bits that are either for the guitar or are open you know, like the end of a, of a line, you know, when there's a little, little, little couple of a beats there to do something. Um, I don't, I usually have a certain amount of improvisation on solos. I usually have like a couple of licks that I always put in a solo for mm. a particular song. And then I improvise around it. And it helps that I have John on the rhythm guitar, because then if I mess up, you know, that rhythm guitar is still there chugging away. Um, yeah, that's it really. I try to mess around when you're playing live as well, as opposed to like in the studio or whatever, like um, I tend to play a bit more flashy because, you know, some usually it's someone that you don't know and you only have like an hour or two hours here to, you know, hook that person in, you know, but you only have like what, 10, 15 minutes to hook them in. Um, So if you just, I just get up and I start like, you know, shredding, then people are like, Oh man, this guy is shredding. That's cool. You know? And then, if I hook them in that way, then later on in the gig, I can start to, you know, play a little bit maybe bluesier or emotionally, you know, feel, feel versus shred, you know, that crap. Um, yeah, that's it really. Yeah. All the time. I always try to improvise, but I try not to, uh, overload people's senses. You know, people should still be focusing on the focus of the song. How much, how, how much do you practice improvising? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know that 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 sounds like uh, like rehearsal and and improv sounds like opposites. But like, uh, you know, the reason that you can improv, the reason you can improvise well is that you've improvised before many times. So like uh, what kind of what, what kind of work goes into um, by pre- being prepared to improvise at, at that kind of level, you know? Um, I don't really set time aside for that, but maybe I should, but I, cause I find I do get better at it. If I do a, a run of gigs, you know, like the gigs are the, are the practice. Yeah. And then later on, you know, when I'm at like gig three or four in a small period then I'm better at it. Um, but you like you, I feel like every time I pick up a, a guitar, I'm improvising yeah. because I, I do kind of just be met. So that is practice in its way in a way in itself. And whenever I kind of learn a new technique or something, I try to have that down to the point where I'm not thinking about it so much anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, I mean, you know, some people hate, you know, scales and stuff. I have a guitar here. I hadn't genuinely, even though I have this next to me, I hadn't actually planned on using it. Like, but like, let's say I'm doing, oh, I got a wire here. So let's say I'm doing like, like a harmonic minor. Kind of. It turns out the A string was tuned down to G, but kind of a harmonic minor. <laughs> like, so let's say I didn't know how to do that. That's just the first scale that came into my head now. Um, let's say I didn't know how to learn that. And then I learned it. Um, I would want to be good enough at that, at least in the keys that aren't sharps, like A, E, D, G, B, um, and the other one. Um, I would want to be good enough at that, that I wouldn't have to be thinking too much about it. Like, like if yeah. I'm, if I'm, if I'm improv and I want to be able to go that the thought process should be like, Ooh, I want to make this sound like a harmonic minor. And then I should just be able to do it. Without from having that point. to like, without having to go oh where is it again the what notes are different there you know um so the practice so i don't think i practice improv particularly but i do practice things to the point that they're embedded enough that i don't have to have too much thought yeah if you so i mean what's behind it then is like a knowledge of scales and various arpeggios and different shapes and different parts of the neck and and stuff like that that yeah. Uh, now we might get into a TED talk here now where I start raging on people who don't use, you know, who don't use uh, music theory, but um, I'll try not to do that. Yeah. Really. It's just the knowledge of scales, but you as well is you don't learn the scales just to be right, to be right all the time. You learn the scales so that you, you know where to go wrong in the right place. Mm-hmm. Like if instead of just, you know, throwing random crap out, like, like if you want something to sound a little bit weird and a little bit wrong, then you know how to do it wrong as well. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why I, I think, you know, having a good knowledge of scales and stuff is, is good, yeah. Mm-hmm. And modes. Are modes scales? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, great questions. Throw it out to the audience. Are modes scales? You are listening to Rockefeller Storytellers by Dead Horse Jive, the podcast where a band interviews itself on a weekly basis. We would love to hear from you if you have thoughts about today's episode. So you can get in touch on Facebook, send us a message, you can tweet us, Instagram, or you can send us an email at deadhorsejiveband at gmail.com. If you like today's episode, then please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or do it the old-fashioned way and tell a friend. And now, with no further ado, it's back to Rockefeller's Storytellers. Yeah, do you want to chuck out another question there? Yeah, sure. Um, well, here's here's a fun one, a little fun one, you know, for people who came, you know, for, for, yeah, for yeah, fun, yeah. good time. Um, so, Dara, you're usually driving, so you don't usually drink at gigs, but there is a question here for you, which is, where has the best during or post-gig pint of Guinness? Um, okay, easy, easy answer uh malarkey's in clifton okay yeah because well i mean i i, I have a, a certain number of uh uh of gigs and venues unfortunately will be disqualified from that because we usually just drive home straight away so i won't be able to have a pint uh during or after the gig but when we gig out in clifton we often stay over so uh uh, and it's always uh, it's always a lot of crack staying over in in Clifton. So that that's my answer. 
Yeah, Cl- uh, Malarkey's and Clifton is like the Wild West, I think. Oh, I love it. I love, That's how I, I feel about it. I love Remember that the, time I shot a guy? Remember when I shot that guy? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, we had to go on the lamb in Clifton. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I love the venue. I love the, I love the locals. And, like, usually the tourists that are passing through as well are, are, uh, are really sound. Um, so, uh, like, this is to say, this, I haven't even talked about the, the quality of the Guinness or, or anything, like. Uh, but it's, it's a good point. Okay, um, I don't know if I have anywhere. I don't take too much notice. Like I mean, I don't take too much notice of the venue when a, a Guinness is bad, but I definitely notice the Guinness. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if I drink Guinness in Malarkey's at all. Probably will know next time. Um, yeah, I have no really strong feelings on it to be honest. Um, you can pick one there if you like. We take one more. We'll do one more or two more. Do one more anyway. And then we'll uh, how, I was I was thinking, how about we do like one or two more, and then we try and quick fire the rest of them. Oh yeah, good idea. Okay, um, so let me pick one here. Have your listening habits changed much since the lockdown started? Uh, not really. Like I tend to listen to like like I got really into Bowie, obviously, a couple mm. of years ago, and now he's like my favorite. Um, and you know, I, I did a Prince thing. We talked about Prince earlier. Um, Creedence Clearwater or Jethro Tull was a massive one when I was a kid I mean I used to like I think I did a year where I just listened to every Jethro Tull album over and over again but you can totally do that because Jethro Tull have like thousands of albums and they're all completely (laughs) different are they still together? not really kind of The, the singer of Jethro Tull Ian Anderson is now in the Ian Anderson band yeah but there's not it's not like they had like a really bad breakup it's just they all turned like 60 and went well we do a bit something else you know so martin Barr, the guitar player has his own band you know and he's like i think he's done gigs you know with the ian anderson band then um i saw them like it must have been one of their last tours i saw them in like mayo like 10 years ago (laughs) of all places i think i was the young one of the youngest it was myself and shocks and uh william o'hiver um we must have been the youngest people in the building. Well, I take that one as well. Have you listening habits changed much since the lockdown started? Are we are we using the word lockdown in Ireland? Um, are they using the word lockdown anywhere? Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I suppose colloquially, yeah, we are referring to whatever it is we're doing at the moment. As Pandemic. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I was thinking, though, you know the way um, like uh, Al Porter pointed this out before. Um, he said that, you know, in Ireland we have like you know, during World War II, we had the emergency and in the North, we had the troubles. We never give things their proper names. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like what we would, we're going to call this time time period, you know, in our history books now, like the situation or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, the situation would be good. Or someone, uh, someone asked the same question on, uh, on their own Facebook profile. I can't remember who it was. Um, a friend of mine, I was like, and uh, one of the suggestions was Big Flu. The big flu. That's a good the one. Big, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just cutesy, like, you know. But uh in in the vein of like giving something a name that still describes it, but is a pretty euphemistic way of describing it. Like the emergency was a <laughs> massive, terrible, horrific war. Uh and this is Asher, a big flu. Yeah. <laughs> or the long <laughs> weekend. Yeah. So, all right, that's it now. That's what we're calling it. The long weekend. 
<laughs> is going to be the name the name in the history books. Have your listening habits changed much since the long weekend started? <laughs> it's been a long old weekend. Um, do you want to pick one more and then we'll quick fire the rest? Um, I know I'm going to make up one, right? All right. Um, which is kind of coming off these is what is your worst gig related memory? Oh Lord. Might have to think about this for a while. Do you have one while I'm thinking? No, but I can probably throw some out. Like, um, I definitely. This is before before we were ever in a band together. I uh, I did a sort of. Um, I was I was either putting on a gig. Yeah, some myself and some friends. We were putting on a gig during school, and it was like an afternoon, uh, sort of all ages gig. Um, and we had a couple of bands booked and then, um, two, uh, something, something went wrong anyway, basically. Um, and one of the bands wasn't there or something like that. Uh, so basically the gig was kind of falling apart and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm a singer. I know what to do. I'll just borrow someone's guitar and go up and do a few tunes. Uh, which is, you know, it was just to have something for people who had come to the gig to look at for a little while. Uh, so I borrowed my mate's guitar and went up on stage and I was like, ah, look, you know, this band, they, they couldn't make it for this reason. I, like they had a reason. Some emergency happened and uh, they weren't able to come. So I was just filling time. Uh, so really sorry about that, but you know, we're still going to have a great night. And the guitar, the acoustic guitar that I was wearing, which was plugged in, the strap popped off and the guitar landed face down on the stage with a big whoop, whoop, which reverberated through the speakers and there was loads of feedback. And every single person in the room like flinched and cringed. And, uh, and it wasn't even my guitar. It was my mate's guitar that I had borrowed. And it was like a really, really ridiculously nice guitar um, that I had dropped and I was so sure uh, was broken. So that is, I think that remains... Uh, my worst ever gig related memory because it was a gig that I had put on that was failing and I was like oh no I'll single-handedly fix that and uh, and it completely completely backfired and was hugely embarrassing uh, and I was like a teenager at the time as well so I, I did not take it well and sometimes this is one of the memories I have actually that comes to me in the middle of the night uh, and like you know I wake up like oh god <laughs> why why did I do that um but you know, I'm totally over it now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> what I about you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't have one there now, really. I, I like. I mean, I guess you know when it was starting off, it was. You know, I I don't really think too heavily on them now, like you know, like as I would have, you know, when I was younger, because I've been playing for so long now. Um, but for funny stories, um, the first gig I ever played was awful. Because we mm. thought we weren't, we thought we weren't doing it, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, and then we we uh, we ended up doing it, but we didn't we didn't rehearse, and it was terrible, and I was so upset, um, so upset. But you're like, that's life. Um, there's a, there's a couple of other ones, but I think that the other guy, you know, they're not really my stories. Yeah, yeah, they're the other guys in the band stories, so maybe I shouldn't tell them. We can just uh, put this, throw this question out to them as well, anyway. When they yeah, do an yeah, I'll put it in. Um, Anything else that's gone wrong? Not recently. There's never, there hasn't really been any train wrecks in the last couple of years. I don't think. I don't know if you remember any. Um, nothing. Nothing that jumps out. Anyway, I mean, obviously, stuff has gone wrong, but nothing has gone wrong enough that we didn't just fix it. Yeah. So. Um. Everybody has a train wreck. 
You know, Guns yeah. N' Roses did a tour right when they formed up and they missed every single gig except for the last one. What? Like, how? Why? Like, <laughs> um, There's a whole story on it. The van broke down and then they got stranded like between the two places. So their very first gig was the very first gig Guns N' Roses ever did was the very last gig on their first tour. Huh. Oh, man. That's like, how did they? Oh, uh, like any any band that would finish them, that would flatten them. So I suppose that's a, a testament to tenacity anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, it's never the worst. It's never the worst thing in the world, you know. Yeah. You know, as Tom Pine says, it's always a good gig when nobody dies, and that's for that's for Tom <laughs> there now. Um, do you want to quick fire the rest of the questions? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, on, uh, there's an on-the-road documentary being made about Dead Horse Jive. What is the most surprising or unexpected thing for fans watching it? Go. Um, the ridiculously uh, controversial things that we sometimes say in the car and then look around and go, all right, nobody say that outside the car. Yeah, um, for me, it would be... Oh, it's very similar. Yeah, we talk a lot about politics an awful lot, a lot more than you would think. We really, <laughs> especially social politics, you know, uh, yeah, all the time. All right, we keep going. Yeah, you do the next one. Uh, this one's for me. What kind of training do you need to do as a vocalist? Um, uh, yeah, it's a good question. I've done a very limited amount of training. Um, the best. Uh, training I've got has been a speech level singing training from I think that's the right name for it anyway but anyway it's Kyle Jack who works in Galway done a couple of uh, sessions with him and um, yeah he's made it a lot easier to sing higher notes and give me a a little bit more control and I think the upper end of my register is improving all the time Uh, I hope uh, if it's not uh, don't tell me Uh, I'm working on it uh number five for joycey oh we did this one already uh yeah. number six where in ireland has the best sesh after a gig have we kind of answered that already malarkey's yeah yeah um definitely i would yeah. say as well whatever you're you know a gig in your hometown you know oh is, yeah, is always yeah. A good sesh after because you don't have to drive home yeah there is that uh and you probably know uh, a lot of the audience and they've seen you before and they'll be super into it um and you probably know the venue really well as well so yeah definitely all right, this next one's for me. It's can you speak a bit about what pedals effects you use to get your on-stage tone? So I have loads of pedals and I don't use a lot of them a lot of the time. So I have a tuner and then I have a Dunlop Wah, the basic one. I have a compressor that I usually do not use, so ignore that one. Um, I've just switched up my overdrive pedal, but I usually use this one, uh, Tube Screamer Mini Ibanez. Um, and then I have a Fender Santa Ana overdrive that I got from It Music. Um, a big muff that I only use for one song, uh, an equalizer that I usually push the mids up a little bit on, um, an MXR carbon copy delay, and then a Vox AC15. And the guitar is usually an SG or a Strat, and they sound very, very different. So it's going to be one or the other. And don't really use any other guitars live that much, despite all the ones that I've bought off Lee O'Brien over the years. <laughs> um, um, what song do you use the big muff on? Um, Killing in the Name of. Aha, uh-huh, yes. And I think that's it. I used to use a blues driver instead of the Santa Ana, but I switched them around. I prefer the Santa Ana. It pushes the mids a lot more. And I love the mids. Mm-hmm. Love the mids. Um, sure, we'll keep going. For yeah. Darrow, what are your favorite records, records to listen to on the long drive to and from a gig? Um, anything by anything by Elbow, uh, particularly Little Fictions. I really like that album at the moment. Uh, or... Um, 
if we're just starting out on the drive, maybe I'll put on Back in Black or something else by ACDC. If everyone else is asleep and it's just me as awake, I will put on uh, The Joshua Tree. Okay. Um, do you find the amount of tech available to a musician these days opens you to try new creative ideas? Uh, well, speaking as a man who this morning tried to write some 8-bit chiptune music, uh, yeah, I would never have written that this weird uh, janky melody uh, that I wrote this morning, uh, if not for um, the fact that I'm at home all the time now and uh, I found a, a free 8-bit uh, piece of software to use. Uh, I would say yes as well. I just I talked about the Boss synthesizer earlier and how that's changing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have uh, a first or earliest music-related memory that made you want to be a musician? Um, um, not really. I don't know. I mean, have I don't? I can't really remember a time that I didn't uh, do a lot of music. Do you know what I mean? Do you want to answer that question? Uh, not memory, but um, my dream is to never have to get up before eleven a.m. <laughs> that's why I want to be a musician. Um, I think that's it. That's all of them. Well, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, that was the first ever Dead Horse Shive podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, hope you hope you enjoyed really it. How, there's, there's, how, how do you know how to sign off? How do you end the podcast? I tell you what, we can just stop and uh, and uh, and uh, we we're going to record a, a beautiful outro later, and then the beautiful outro will play over the end. And uh, cool, I'd say John, if John can do it, so that you can go, we can just stop, and then it cuts there. Thank you very much for listening to Rockefeller Storytellers, the podcast by Dead Horse Jive. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, then we are on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Bandcamp, and all the other usual online places. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we would love to hear from you. So please get in touch if you want to let us know what you thought of this week's episode, or if you have any questions of your own for the band. If you're feeling extra generous and you want to do your part to help keep independent musicians afloat, then you can send us a small tip on paypal.me forward slash deadhorsejive. All contributions, no matter how large or small, will help us to pay for things such as recording time, touring expenses, purchasing new equipment, and the marketing we use to help get our music out there. Once again, thank you very much for listening to Rockefeller's Storytellers. We hope you enjoyed and see you next time.